Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, who loves us with a transforming love, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, and from the Spirit who unites us all. Amen. So as most of you know, these last few weeks I have been traveling. I traveled all over the western part of our country because that is where my family, both given and chosen, have chosen to live. And so I went to California and just made a big old loop across the West. And I loved being with them. Like you, it has been a long time since I have seen my family, longer than I've ever gone. And so to be with them and to laugh and to be silly with them, my niece has this game called Ooey Louie. Anybody know Ooey Louie? Mm. So, I haven't played games with 10-year-olds before, but this is, um, it's a face, you have to roll a dice, and then whatever number is on that dice, hold on, here you go, there are, you have to stick your hand up his nose and pull out the booger, right? And you have to do that and prevent yourself from popping his head off, his brains pop out. There we were, me, 50, my parents in their 70s, and my 10-year-old niece. It was awesome. I loved being silly with her. And I loved being silly with the littles that were in Montana. It was just so good to be with them. But we also, us adults, processed the last two years, checked in with each other to see how we were doing, wondered about what the next year will bring, not only for us, but for those littles, and those children that we love. And there was a lot of sighing. We would sigh in frustration and hopelessness and sadness because we couldn't settle on a solution to making the world better. And at some point, all the talking in the world wasn't gonna help, and so we would just be silent for a little bit. And then inevitably, because we are who we are, someone would name hope somewhere. And we would remember hope and love that exists in our world, mostly because we as followers of Jesus exist in this world. So I've been thinking a lot about sighing and breathing these last few weeks. We as human beings sigh regularly, like five times an hour apparently, and there's a whole scientific reason why we do that. But one of the reasons that we do deeper sighs, you know, the, is to release stress and anxiety in our body. Because we know that deep breathing is a way to do that, to complete the stress cycle, to stop all of those chemicals that rush into our body when we perceive a threat that gets us ready to fight or to run or to freeze. We know that when we can take that and then take some deep breaths, we can stop all of that from happening. So as I traveled, I purposely did not read a lot of news because, well, the news is what makes me stressed and, ang and anxious and angry too. Um, and so I just wanted to practice breathing instead without having that impetus to do it. But it was impossible to completely avoid the news and what was happening in the world because people that I traveled with or people that I traveled to were indeed watching the news because they were just living their normal lives. And in the last three weeks, there has been much in our world to
to cause stress and anxiety and frustration and fear and hopelessness. There's been the earthquake in Haiti and then the storms. There's been Hurricane Ida. There's still fires in the West and they're dealing with lots of drought. Our numbers are rising, which I knew as I was traveling because that's a little nerve wracking to travel as numbers climb. And there's all sorts of things going on in our political world. And I could see, even as I traveled, that most of us continue to divide the world into us and them. I did it. I made judgments about all sorts of people that I saw. And so we sigh. And we wonder. And we hope. And we listen. Did you catch in the reading that Carol just read for us? that Jesus sighs as well. I did, the first time I read that, I was like, oh my goodness, Jesus sighs. I'd never seen that in this reading before. If I had, I just glanced right over it because there's more important things apparently in the text at that time. But this time, I read that Jesus sighed right before he healed a man that couldn't speak or hear. And I wondered, why is Jesus sighing? The first time I read this passage, I thought Jesus was sighing in frustration. You know that fine sigh that we all do? Like, here I go again, another person that needs to heal. One theologian suggests that Jesus was frustrated because people were not grasping the scope of what the good news was. They weren't seeing the bigger picture of God's kingdom in the world or the power of God's love that all the people wanted at that moment was to be healed and to be fed. The people wanted quick fixes, the instantaneous healings. And Jesus knows that the kingdom of God is not about a quick fix. In fact, the kingdom of God here on earth is slow and subtle and sometimes arduous and messy and profoundly costly. The kingdom of God, Jesus knew though, doesn't just come through God's power, but it comes through those human beings who choose to love and choose to follow Jesus with their whole selves right into the risky, sigh-producing, holy work of God's kingdom. So maybe Jesus was frustrated. Some would suggest that Jesus is just tired, having spent so much time healing and teaching When he tries to sneak away to a place where he thinks no one will know him, it fails miserably, and people continue to come to him. Because healing is real and tangible and life-changing, life-restoring. But for Jesus, the healing is not the point. The restoration is. The wholeness is. In actions of healing, Jesus honors all people, even those who are not considered whole. So one person suggests that Jesus sighs in exhaustion, not at the man seeking healing, but because the society that makes the healing necessary in the first place by not accepting and caring and loving the man who he is. So healing this deaf and mute man is the only way to restore him in a broken system of humanity. And Jesus just keeps going and going and running into this issue, so he may be tired. But the most compelling argument for me 
about Jesus sighing reminds us that Jesus is human. And in his humanity, Jesus needs to learn and grow and understand things anew. You see, Jesus, in this moment, when he's sighing, right before he heals this man, has already had an encounter with another person, a woman and a foreigner. And we already know that he comes to this place that isn't full of Jews because he wants to be left alone. We've all been there, right? You just want to be left alone, especially now that we've had this experience of living in our homes with our family all the time, right? Sometimes you just need to get away. And yet, here comes this woman who has a daughter who has an unclean spirit in her. And Mark is quick to point out that not only is she a woman, but she is a Gentile Seraphonician woman. Of all the people that could possibly encounter Jesus right now, she should not be where she decides to go. And yet there she is, asking for what every other person has asked for, healing for her daughter. For reasons that preachers and theologians have speculated about for millennia but don't know for sure, Jesus rebukes her. Jesus calls her a dog which is nothing short than an ethnic slur. Here in this moment, even Jesus has his prejudices, which is shocking for all of us to imagine. This is why preachers struggle with this text. But there it is, in black and white, Jesus saying no and calling someone a dog. But the woman, she stands firm. She challenges what he says, and changes his mind. In this moment, Jesus is taught by this woman an important lesson on what the kingdom of God really looks like, which is that all are included in the kingdom of God. All are welcome to God's love and grace. And Jesus takes what she says and hears her and allows himself to be changed by her words because of that. And because he is changed, it is her words that gets her daughter healed. It's not because of her faith or because of her standing in society or because of anything else, but the words she dared to speak to Jesus. It is her wisdom, her speaking the truth to the Son of God and teaching him something new about the kingdom of God that gets her daughter healed. I think Jesus sighs in the moment when he encounters the man, the blind and mute man, because he has heard the Holy Spirit. And that man, who is also not a Jew, is like an exclamation point that the Spirit is using to drive truth the home of God's love. Because Jesus uses a strange turn of phrase in this healing. He doesn't say, be well or be healed. He says, be opened. And I think he's saying it as much to himself as to the man seeking healing. I think Jesus is sighing in this moment because he has just learned, he's just realized something new about God's kingdom. And he's like, all right, all right, all right, I hear you. You know, that kind of sigh that's just like, fine, I get it, right? Be 
opened, he says. But what does that look like? To be opened to the work of the Holy Spirit, to be open to changing our minds about people and their place in our society. Well, one of the readings assigned for this week is from James, something we don't often read from. Martin Luther didn't think much of this um, particular book of the Bible. But James, too, had things to say about what it means to be opened. James writes, My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord of Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person dressed in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while the one who is poor, you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you fulfill, really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. James goes on, of course, and I encourage you to read the second chapter later. But these first eight verses give us an idea of what it means to be opened. So often as we make our way into the world, we fall into the practice of the us and them. We divide ourselves. We make judgments about people. And we move away from what God has intended for this world. For in God, we are told, there is no partiality. And we can't get away from this concept that we are all equal in the eyes of God. And therefore, as we look on our fellow human beings, whether we agree with them or not, whether we live in the same country or not, whether we speak the same language or not, we should see them as precious human beings. We can't get away from it because it is throughout Scripture from beginning to end. But... It's so much easier to live within the structures of society that tell us who's in and who's out, who we should like and who we shouldn't, who we should serve and who we shouldn't. It is so much easier to then dehumanize that person over there instead of taking the time to listen to them and allowing the Holy Spirit to open us to a different way of thinking. But friends, it is not the way of the kingdom of God to do any of those things. Even Jesus had to learn that. The kingdom of God, this incredible vision for how the world can be, has us seeing the person on the other side as beloved of God, listening and loving them. It's a world where we show no partiality, not just on the surface, because we're really good at that, but with our whole being and self in every moment of our day. To love our neighbor, we must be able to not only see them as that other group, but to draw near to them and to hear them as Jesus heard that woman. 
It is the light of Christ that we carry in us that calls us to a life where we are willing to be opened over and over and over again to the reality that we are all beloved of God. And that we as followers of Jesus are called to be in this world where we not only feed the hungry, but we ask, why are they hungry? And then we work to fix those problems. Where we look at those who are thirsty and give them something to drink, but then ask, why are they thirsty? Why are these people oppressed? Why is this stuff happening? Why are there fires? Why are there hurricanes? How can we see all people in creation as God sees them and bring about the kingdom of God? How can we, as a faith community, welcome all people and mean it that we welcome all people, even those that we completely disagree agree with? Which I don't know about you, but has been the biggest challenge for me in the last two and a half years. How do I live my life in such a way that people look at me and know me and know God's love? That's the question. Not here in the church, not while I'm wearing this collar, but while I'm at the grocery store or while I'm at Yellowstone National Park or when I'm playing ooey Louie with gooey Louie, whatever it was called, with my niece. That's the question. What are the words and actions in my life that God is calling me to so that I can be a light of Christ in this world so that all people know dignity and respect and abundant life? That's the question before all of us today as we continue to make our way through this pandemic, as we continue to watch our political system change, how are we going to be a witness to God's love in the midst of everything that tries to divide us? I think we do it first by grounding ourselves in Christ's love for us and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then in that, we trust the Holy Spirit to open us up in the ways that we need to be opened even if it terrifies us. For we are indeed Christ in this world. So let's be opened. <laughs>